Hi, this is Alina and Megan, and you're listening to Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast, where we dive into all things health, wellness, and fitness. We are two certified athletic trainers, personal trainers, and nutrition coaches who met and graduated together from the University of Arkansas. And we want to do this podcast to spread our joy about treating our bodies well through nutrition, exercise, and knowledge. Today on Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast, we are excited to welcome PRI faculty member and physical therapist, Lori Thompson. As well as serving on PRI's faculty, Lori is the operational manager of the Haruska Clinic and currently practices at the Haruska Clinic in Lincoln, Nebraska. Lori is certified through postural restoration as a PRC and she teaches the pelvis course for the institute. Lori has a strong interest in runner, scoliosis, pelvic floor dysfunction, and vision and vestibular integration. We specifically asked Lori on our podcast today to talk about footwear. About every six months, Lori does a lot of research on shoes and completes the shoe list that many of you have seen on PRI's website. In this episode, we'll go into depth on the details of shoes, gait, and more. We hope you enjoy. Everything mentioned in this podcast is linked in the show notes. Today on Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast, we have Lori Thompson um, from, directly from PRI, um, right? You're in Lincoln, Nebraska right now, aren't you? Yeah. Awesome. That's amazing. We are so excited to have you on and we're going to be talking about everything that, that you're doing right now, like with PRI, but also specifically about the shoe list. Um, yeah. I'm excited so, to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We're very, very happy to have you on. So- for our listeners, can you give our listeners a little bit of a background on PRI and also just the shoe list in general? Okay. Well, PRI, for those of you, um, is the Postural Restoration Institute. Um, is an institute that was founded by Ron Hareska out of Lincoln, Nebraska. And it is an institute that looks at normal human patterns and asymmetry. And we have numerous different courses that dive into this in a hip arena, in a pelvis arena, in a thorax arena, in a neck. And so we have a lot of different continuing education courses. And I've been, I went to my first PRI course back in 2003. I've been a physical therapist for over 26 years and um, got certified in postural restoration in 2005. And was actually working up in North Dakota. We were great people up there, but very cold weather up there. I don't know why anyone elects to live up in North Dakota for fun. Because you get but, your, uh, your student loans forgiven. Yeah, <laughs> but I moved up there with my husband's job. And um, prior to um, doing PRI, I was, uh, I don't know if you guys want all this background, but I'm gonna yeah. share it. You can yeah. edit out whatever you want. <laughs> um, but, um, I started PRI um, after I moved up to North Dakota. Prior to that, I was in a rehab setting. I did home health care. And when I moved up to North Dakota, they didn't have any um, home health openings. So I was forced in an outpatient arena. And I knew about Ron because I've lived in Lincoln, Nebraska. I heard that he was a physical therapist that thought outside the box and did stuff differently. At that time, the Postural Restoration Institute wasn't founded. At that time, Ron was um, talking at our state meetings, and it was called the upper quarter and the lower quarter. So mild kin that people know was called the lower quarter, and postural respiration um, that people used to know was called the upper quarter. And so I knew that Ron looked at the human body differently. You know, sometimes um, clinically, when I went to physical therapy school, we looked at the human body as being equally balanced. Um, we didn't think about muscle inhibition. And so he just looked at the human body differently. So when I moved up to North Dakota and I was forced in an outpatient arena, um, I decided to take my first continuing education course, um, which I took with Ron in Minneapolis. And then you fast forward a couple of years later, I, would, I had taken all the courses that were offered at the time, which was only four. So the Institute has really grown. And um, a couple of years after that, I got certified. And then Ron called me when I was living up in North Dakota. I was helping out with some continuing education courses with him at PRI at the time. 
and he asked me if I would ever consider moving back to Lincoln to work with him at the Haruska Clinic. And so in my world, that's kind of like Tiger Woods saying, you know, come on, I'm going to teach you everything I know about golf, you know, being a mm -hmm. really great golfer that he was back in the time. And so my husband and I thought about it and um, his work was able to move him back to Lincoln and I was able to move back to Lincoln to work at the Haruska Clinic, where I started working in 2006. Um, then I um, helped put together pelvis restoration course and started teaching pelvis restoration in 2010 for the Institute. So I was on faculty and then also working clinically at the Haruska Clinic full time. So there's a little bit of my clinical background. Does that help? Yes. The list you guys came about from a patient. I'm a very clinician. I'm very clinical. You know, what I see in my clinical practice with how I apply PRI. And um, the patient's name was Michael Ann. I'm not violating HIPAA. I just gave out her first name. And Michael <laughs> Ann was a dental hygienist. And she was a runner. And she had come in to see me for knee pain. And Michael Ann, um, Michael Ann came in, and for those of you that do PRI, all of her PRI objective tests were negative. Um, her knee pain felt great when she came into the clinic. Her heresca adduction lift scores were at a five out of five. I mean, we're not even a four out of five, a five out of five. But every time she would go out and run, her knee would still hurt. And I am just like, what is going on? I mean, she has great stability. She can rotate her trunk. Her pelvis is strong. She's neutral, but her knees still hurt. So I didn't know what I was missing. And so um, she'd always come in after work in her scrubs and her tennis shoes. And I go, Michael, Ann, are these the same shoes that you're coming in to see me in, the same shoes that you run in? And she's like, no, I run in a different style, a different pair of shoes. And I go, how fast can you go home and get those shoes and bring those back to me? I want to see you walk in them. So Michael Ann came in the next day and she was in the Mizuno Inspire. And the Mizuno Inspire at the time, and it still has a really, it has like a donut, like a U-shaped hill counter. Mm -hmm. And that on the medial side of that hill counter is higher and on the outside it's smaller. So the Mizuno Inspire keeps you on the outside of your foot for the entire gait cycle, whether you're walking or running. And so Michael Ann came in with the Inspire shoe and she walked up and down the hallway. I laid her on the treatment table and guess what? She was not PRI neutral. She was in a left AIC, right BC, right B, right TMCC pattern. I took her out of the shoe. I put her in her other shoe. She came in from work, walked up and down the hallway. I laid her on the table and all of her PRI objective tests went negative. So I put her back in the Mizuno shoe and we did the same thing. And then I went back to Ron's office. I go, Ron, you've got to come see this. And so Ron came out and looked at it. He's like, I don't know if I would have believed it had I not seen it. <laughs> and that is where the shoe list was born. Because then I started to realize the effect that shoes could have on my PRI program with my patients in order for them to integrate. When your brain can sense on the ground, you've got to be able to sense your entire foot underneath that shoe on the ground allows you to be able to lateralize and move back and forth, whether you're running or whether you're walking. Mm -hmm. And that's where the shoe list was born. Yeah. I mean, I think just in general, like not even talking about PRI shoes, but a lot of running shoes are just like ultra squishy and just like basically like inhibiting you from feeling the ground. Um, probably cause everyone is scared of pronation and like, we think the solution to everything is just like, make sure people don't pronate, which is, sounds kind of like that's what the Mizuno shoe was shooting for, but that is super interesting. What yeah. was she wearing, um, to work? Um, you know what, to be honest with you, I don't remember. I only remember the shoe that wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And I've never had great luck with the Mizuno shoe. It's nothing against Mizuno. I don't, I don't want to put a bad vibe out there with Mizuno, but it's the development of their, their shoe has a really deep um, horseshoe. And it, it's kind of like if you're on a double edge ice skate, mm -hmm. your, your ankle is going to be weaker on the outside of your foot. When we go to walk, Megan, um, you know, since you kind of brought up the repronation at heel strike, mm -hmm. you should be on the outside of your foot and your heel. Mm -hmm. But when you get in more of the mid stance phase of the walking or running cycle, you should repronate and roll in and push off your big toe. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. Now, of course, you have some people that are flat-footed that overpronate, mm -hmm. and then they can't supinate. So we can talk out of both sides of our mouth. Mm -hmm. But um, you've got to be able, if you cannot repronate your foot during the gait cycle and push off your big toe, you cannot get good hip extension and power from your boots, whether you're a jumper, you know, mm -hmm. a volleyball player, whether you're a runner. Yep. So. Totally. It all starts at the fall. It sort of all starts at the foot. It kind of yeah. starts Well, your foot and your ankle, your body's highly integrative. You can't treat the pelvis. You can't treat the human body or core or a pelvis. Your foot and ankle and your pelvis um, are interrelated. You can't disconnect one from the other. Mm -hmm. And if your foot can't, when one foot's doing one thing, when one foot's repronating, the other foot's just supinating, you know, and go back and forth. They shouldn't be in one position the entire time during a gait cycle, or you can't mm -hmm. lateralize and move forward. You'll get locked up in your hip and your pelvis. Right. That's a, the theme, I think, with PRIs. You can't be doing one thing, only one thing. You have to be able to. It's like a spectrum. Everything yeah. is always a spectrum. And I think most people, you guys, would appreciate that the foot and ankle, you know, directly relates to the pelvis and the hip. Mm -hmm. But it's also BFS with the neck. So yeah. talk about that a little more, please. Yeah. Well, um, your foot and ankle, if so, if we talk about when you talk about shoes being squishy, Megan, they at least as long as I have been observing and looking at shoes, I go out and look at shoes every year that our local shoe store can get into town for our patients. And they kind of cycle. Uh, and with athletic shoes. And I, I kind of look more at running shoes because running shoes on like a tennis shoe or a volleyball shoe, a volleyball shoe or a basketball shoe has to allow you to be able to go back and forth. But a walking and a running shoe, most people, I look at running shoes because most of my patients walk or they, you know, they're not, not everyone's a runner, but we all walk throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And that's more forward and back movement. So you don't want to have as much give going side to side that you need to, to be able to cut across the soccer field or mm -hmm. volleyball court. So those shoes are different. But um, runners demanded lightweight shoes. So, you know, the lighter the shoe, you know, we're going to get a few seconds off of when we run. I'm a runner. Um, and so, but a lot of runner, because of that, the shoe companies tried to meet that demand of wanting a lighter weight shoe. But what happened back in 2008, they really compromised the sole of the shoe in order um, to accommodate them to be lightweight. But what happened in 2008, I, I mean, I even talked to um, the ASICs, um, project manager I was on the phone with them I go you guys are killing me I have more patients that have TFL pain and stress fractures and I can't find a good quality shoe that my patients can rehab in and run in they're getting more injured and they go yes the pendulum will swing the other way and it did so they came back and they made the the bottom of the sole of the shoe a better quality but right now you guys the upper part of the shoe is lightweight well, if the upper part of the shoe is really lightweight and all mushy, like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The foot can't work with the shoe. The foot's going to be all over the place inside of the shoe. And so then the foot can't work with the shoe. I mean, we could compound and go into all of this in a little more, more detail. If you'd like me to, I will. Um, if we look at the qualities that we look for, on there's a lot of things we look for, but if I could keep it, you know, a little simple, the most common trends that we want to look for is you want to have a heel counter of the back of the shoe where the heel doesn't collapse in. So this should be firm back here at the heel counter. If you take your fingers, this should not be squishy in. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's one criteria. Another criteria is you want the normal bend of the shoe to be where the normal bend of the toes are. Some shoes will bend in half, and that's a not the normal bend of your foot. So if, when your foot is behind you, when you walk or when you run, you bend at your metatarsal heads and that's where our toes should bend and that's where the normal toe bend should be in a shoe. Some shoes like a Hoka shoe, um, that's more of a rocker shoe are designed not to bend as well there. And those would be great for people that um, mm -hmm. have more of a limited first ray at their big toe joint or they have an arthritic toe joint or maybe their toes been fused. Mm -hmm. Or there are some people, you guys, that just don't know how to learn how to walk through and utilize their whole foot. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to go heel arch toe. Mm -hmm. so that's when a hoka or something would be good. But if you put someone that has a really stiff 
toe box that can't bend and it's really hard to bend, then they're going to have to work really hard to clear their toe when they're walking or running and they will overwork their hip flexors. So that's why that is important. Mm -hmm. The reason why the heel counter, if I could backtrack, the reason why you want to have a good heel counter that doesn't roll and that doesn't collapse in is because you want to have um, at heel striker when you go to to walk or run, you want to have a good stable heel. So you can work the mid part of your foot on my, my foot. Like, oh, I were moving my foot backwards, you guys. I was using the fibia and the tibia. <laughs> it's a mid foot, but we're just going to make the foot go right here. Um, you want to have a good stable heel counter. That way you can't supinate and pronate. Mm -hmm. You don't want the whole heel and the foot to roll out or the heel and the foot to roll in together. The mm -hmm. midfoot's got to be able to work independently of that calcaneus or the heel bone. And that's why having a, a heel counter that doesn't collapse in is good. With some of your patients or your clients, um, it depends on their history. If you look at, I brought a couple of examples so you guys could see this, and I know that you guys, some people are listening to it, but if you look down at the shoe in the back of the shoe, this is a Brooks Dyad, mm -hmm. it has a heel counter that doesn't collapse in, but it's a little wider. So you can see where my fingers are on the border of the um, Brooks Dyad. Well, if you look, this is the Asics Cumulus, and if you look at this one, can you see how more narrow it is? Yeah. So if you mm -hmm. have someone that has a, like a high ankle sprain or frequent ankle sprains, or maybe they fractured their ankle, neurologically, their brain subconsciously is gonna be a lot more timid. They mm -hmm. need to feel like they have a heel hug. So mm -hmm. they need to have a more narrow heel counter, which the ASICs, ASICs by far have a far superior heel counter than most shoes on the market. They've gotten better, Brooks has gotten better. Not everyone needs a narrow heel counter, but people that have an ankle history, I would definitely put them in a shoe or plantar fasciitis that has a really strong heel counter that doesn't collapse in, but also when they feel like they have a hug around their calcaneus, because mm -hmm. it'll allow the brain subconsciously to allow them to move that midfoot without them feeling like they're going to re-sprain their ankle again. Yeah. So with the plantar fasciitis, is that just because like the holding the calcaneus will feel better on that, that yeah, because the, the, the attachment side of the plantar fascia is on the yeah. calcaneus. So gotcha. it doesn't make the plantar fascia magically go away. They also, you know, because the plantar fascia also goes spans on the bottom of the foot, that midfoot. Mm -hmm. But the heel counter is a really good one for Achilles tendonitis, plantar fasciitis. They need to have a good heel counter. Gotcha. So going back to hokas, because I feel like a lot of people that I know, I've never tried them on personally. I've just seen they've gotten like exceedingly more popular um, mm -hmm. in recent years. Yep. So you said you mentioned that they would be good for someone that has poor first MTP joint mobility. Are they yep. good for anyone else? Um, they're good for anyone, like I said, that also has a hard time walking through their entire foot. So if you watch someone walk and they can they can get heel strike, they can get to midfoot, but you see that they're having a hard time rolling all the way through their foot off their toes. Mm -hmm. A rocker type of shoe would be good, like a hookah. A rocker type shoe, uh, the toe box will, will flare up. Mm -hmm. So that makes it more like a rocker so they can walk through their foot. And hokas have tended to be really good. Also the MBT. I don't have those. I think I said that right. It's either MTB or MBT shoes. So forgive me if I got the letters mixed up. We don't have them here in Lincoln. Mm -hmm. you, um, none of our shoe stores carry them. So I have not looked at them. But there's some that some of my other colleagues have utilized with other people that have had good luck. Aside from the Hoka for a good rocker shoe. Gotcha. So do you as a PT work um, like on getting that, that person to be able to actually be able to hit that toe rocker in the gait cycle? Or are yep. you, is that something that's not necessarily fixable for most people? I, what do you mean by that? I mean like that they can't get to toe off or get the big toe flexibility. Like it just can't get the toe, big toe flexibility or, cause that's like obviously a part of the gait cycle before you go right. into swing is that toe rocker. It depends part. on so why they're I was just limited. wondering. Yeah. yeah. It depends on why they're limited. If they're limited with an arthritic joint, if they're limited um, because they've had surgery and it's already been fused or, you know, because they have a really bad bunion, they have limited mobility. Some of those people in my experience are probably not going to get that mobility back. 
Um, but certainly if you could get some of the mobility back, you can still work on some of your good PT skills or athletic training skills to get that back. Yeah. Oh, there's just, it's so fascinating. Like all the little things that could be going wrong at the foot that are just going to affect everything up the chain. Seriously. Yeah. It's kind of like what Ron says. He goes, I like feet, but I don't like feet because it can really <laughs> mess up your program. Yeah. Yeah. But- yeah, so we talked about the heel counter being one criteria that we work for in a shoe, and we talked about the toe box and some of the reasons why we look at that. Then um, the other thing that we look at in the clinic is um, and the, the shoes back in like 2008, you guys, or 2010, um, if you would press down on the lateral part of the shoe, there would, used to be a lot of give out here. Or like the Mizuno Inspire that I described earlier, that the inside was built up and the bottom side was um, lowered down. Um, so you want shoes that it's okay if it's a little cushiony, but if there's a lot of give on the outside of that heel box, the foot's going to stay on the outside of the foot through the entire gait cycle. Mm-hmm. In a PRI world, if you cannot repronate, um, you cannot move your pelvis from side to side. What I'd like to do is to have all of your listeners and have you guys just stand up and try this with me. So what I want you guys to do is to stand up and just to kind of help out with this point, if you if everyone rolls to the outside of their foot, so you're, you're gonna feel your pinky toe, the, the lateral border of your foot, and now try to move your pelvis from side to side. It's gonna be really hard. You're gonna, you're, you're gonna feel kind of like they're going through your low back or a little bit of low back tension. Yeah. So now what I would like you guys to do is to roll your right foot in. Roll your right foot in, and I want you to shift your body weight over to your left foot and roll the inside of your right foot. You should feel like it's easier to move your pelvis over to the left. Mm-hmm. So now you just repronate it on the right to allow you to get to the mid-stance face of gate on the left side, and you can get that movement strategy through your pelvis. And now roll to the inside of your left foot, keep your right foot straight, and you can move your pelvis over to the right. So now you're getting that movement strategy through your hip and your pelvis so you can get power through your your pelvis. If you're on the outside of your foot the entire time, or if you're really flat-footed and you rolled in all the time, I feel like I'm telling you the story of the three bears, you cannot move your pelvis. You cannot get power from your hip and your pelvis. So your body's going to have to stabilize you somewhere. And that may be through your neck, through your back, through your hip flexor, through your foot and ankle. You're not going to be able to get that power from your pelvis. I hope that was a helpful demonstration. Yeah, totally. And that's why with the, I just want you guys to understand the method behind the madness. <laughs> so if there's a lot of heel give out here and you stay on the outside of your foot, your midfoot, the entire gait cycle, you're not going to be able to lateralize to the contralateral side when you're walking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or conversely, if you have a heel counter that's built up on the inside and it's way lower on the outside, your patient's going to have to have a lot of glute strength in order to repronate, to over, override what that heel counter is. Yeah. So those are um, four of the criteria that we look for before we put a shoe on the Herbeska Clinic shoe list. Yeah. And then after that, there's other things that we look for, like right now, we We like more of a 3D mesh material in the upper part of the shoe because if it's more of like a one sheath up here, it's hard to control the foot inside of the shoe that I mentioned earlier. Um, And we're trying to make our, you can go to the Horuska Clinic website and the shoe list is up there where people can get a copy of it. And we're trying to help clinicians out, you know, here's our favorite shoe if you have heel you know, heel instability. Here's our favorite shoe. If you just have an art, you know, an average art shoe. Um, Most people, you guys look at shoes like a traditional way of, do they have a low arch? Do they have a high arch? Do they have an average arch? And so I'm aware of that. But as PRI clinicians, we're looking at shoes with how it allows the body to integrate and work together. The head, neck, the trunk, and the pelvis. So if you, if you're, doing a PRI program or you're trying to lateralize or, you know, or do a workout and the body can't work together, the head, knock, trunk, and pelvis, you're not wearing the right shoe on the feet, you're not going to be able to integrate that. So people will compensate somewhere. Mm-hmm. So what I do to know if this is someone's shoe, A, the shoes, so after you look at the criteria, the shoe goes on the shoe list. It doesn't mean every shoe on that shoe list is going to be good for you, Megan, or good for you, Alina, or good for me. Mm-hmm. And so 
I would encourage clinicians, A, the shoe's got to feel comfortable for your patient right away or your client. If it's not comfortable, even if it's on my shoe list, it's not their shoe because now their body's going to fight the shoe. The second thing is, is when they walk, they should be able to sense their heel arch and big toe. So as they walk up and down the hallway and, you know, I'll just subjectively look at people. You can tell if they're on the outside of their foot or not, and they're not able to repronate or if they're, you know, you can look at the heel if it's rolling in too far and they don't have enough medial support with the arch. So I'll have them walk up and down the hallway and then I'll have them get into left stance. So I'll have them stand on their left leg or bring their left arm forward. And I'll ask them, what do you feel on the floor underneath the shoe? Can you sense your left heel? Can you feel your arch? Can you feel your big toe? Yep. And then we go to the other side. Can you feel all three of them? Yep. Then I come in and I'll have them lay down on the table and I go through all of my PRI objective tests at the head, neck, the trunk, and the pelvis. And if they're neutral with that shoe and it's comfortable for them, that can be their shoe. There are some shoes, even though I'm on their list, if they walk up and down the hallway, they'll kind of say, you know what, Lori, I feel the ball of my foot. I don't feel my heel. Mm-hmm. You know, or I feel the outside of my foot. I don't feel my arch or my big toe. And you lay them on the table, they're not going to be PRI neutral. So, um, and then sometimes um, they might need an orthotic to help them to get that shoe to work for them. Or sometimes, you know, I can add it. You can take the liner of a shoe out. And you can add like a little sensory arch underneath the liner of the shoe or something to help them, you know, to be able to get that to repronate mm-hmm. or feel their right arch and PRI. A lot of people have a hard time feeling their right arch and their left heel. So you can do stuff to add to the arch to help them to retrain them how to do that with the goal that maybe they don't need it. But there are some people that are really flat footed that might need our support or people that have really rigid mid feet. But sometimes it looks like an oxymoron when I send my patients to have a really high arched um, midfoot or rigid midfoot, and I might be putting them in something that has a little bit more medial arch support in it, not a neutral shoe, mm-hmm. because the midfoot's got to start to learn how to repronate. And so sometimes in a neutral shoe, they don't have as much arch support. But that midfoot's got to start to learn how to repronate somewhere, and it can't repronate if your brain can't sense it. So if your brain can't sense an arch, it can't repronate. So I might put them in more of an average arch shoe, which the shoe store thinks I'm crazy for, or maybe something you might put someone in a low arch shoe because they're just starting to learn how to get that little range of motion of being able to repronate a little bit with the goal by the time they're done with you that they can maybe get in a more neutral shoe because they can repronate through the entire range of motion of that midfoot. So it's their ability to be able to assess that heel arch and big toe standing on the ground, and then you can supplement it clinically. Yeah, it's interesting because what you're kind of talking about, well, I'm going to want you to definitely expand on a orthotic and the difference between hard orthotics versus a PRI orthotic. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, yeah, let's just, let's talk about that real quick. So um, a PRI orthotic that Dr. Paul Kaffa makes, um, um, his orthotics Oh, I wish my husband was still here. I could pull out his orthotics for you guys. I have mine. So. Hey, hey, well, if you want to, you could pull it up and show it on Instagram as we yeah. talk about it, Alina. But you'll, it. you'll notice with Dr. Coffin's orthotics, you guys, they have a really deep heel cup. So it allows the heel to sit down in a shoe to have that good calcaneal support. So there you go. So, Alina, like, if you look back at the heel cup, do you see how deep that heel cup is? Mm-hmm. And then if you look around, there's a lateral border that goes on the outside of the um, foot, and then it goes on the inside of the foot. So that allows the calcaneus to really sit down and be utilized in that shoe. Mm-hmm. And then Dr. Coffin will build up the right arch a little bit more on the right side compared to the left, because every human favors their right leg, and every human loves their right arm, even left-handed people out there. We left-handed people, AKA myself, we've learned how to use our left hand on our right leg. So if, we've, if we're lateralized over to the right more, we're gonna be more in a supinated state. So it builds up that arch to help you to repronate. So you can supinate to repronate on the right to help you to be able to lateralize to the left. And so the arch will be built up a little bit more on the right side. I will, if you look at um, different orthotics, they don't have that deep hill cup 
and they also don't have the ridge around them, so it doesn't control that calcaneus and that midfoot. That's what makes Paul's orthotic unique, is the heel cup and the lateral border around the heel cup. Other orthotics are tend to be flat. Mm -hmm. The other thing about uh, Dr. Coffin's orthotics is that they are not hard plastic. Yeah. So if you have a hard plastic orthotic, it's hard for that midfoot to supinate and repronate. Usually hard plastic orthotics are going to keep you on the outside of your foot. And so his orthotics will allow you to work that midfoot in supination or pronation during the gait cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I will tend to put people in orthotics that have bunions, you know, that obviously are flat footed and um, if they have rigid midfeet. Mm-hmm. But I would caution people about putting people in orthotics too quickly before they have the hip and the pelvis strength to know how to work that orthotic. I just make mistakes that I have made when I've got my patients orthotics maybe a little bit too quickly before they had more stability at their pelvis. Um, and then sometimes maybe I should have done it a little bit quicker. It's kind of, it's all a timing issue um, with some patients. And sometimes people got orthotics to help them to retrain how to work that midfoot and to do something different with their feet. And maybe they don't need the orthotic anymore and it could be taken out. Mm-hmm. You know what? They don't have bunions. They don't have hammer toes. They're not flat footed. They have more of an average foot and they needed the orthotic more of a sensory input to learn how to work their foot with the shoe and the ground. And then they may not need them in the long term. Yeah. So how do you determine whether a patient that you have is a good candidate for an orthotic? Um, if they don't have the bunions and they're not flat footed and they're rigid midfeet and they are arched, you know, they don't have bad looking feet. And then mm-hmm. I, how do I determine if they need an orthotic that way? Yeah. So, I mean, so, yeah. so say someone has, you know, hip or knee pain and yep. you don't think, I mean, it, are there people that, just, that will not need an orthotic in general, even though shoes are not built for asymmetrical humans? I guess that's kind of what I'm asking. Yeah. So um, some people might, you might need to put an orthotic if they don't have bad looking feet. If you are, they're neutral with their PRI program, but they cannot integrate a frontal plane. Mm -hmm. So they're still having a hard time lateralizing to the left and integrating a frontal plane, or they are stuck at a Hervesca adduction lift test at a three out of five, no matter how much frontal plane you are getting them, giving them, and they're having a hard time um, integrating a frontal plane, I might look at an orthotic. Or sometimes before I look at an orthotic, I might add some, a sensory arch or something underneath their right big toe on the right side to help them to repronate. I might supplement the liner of their shoe mm. um, to be more cost effective because custom made orthotics are expensive if I could do it that way too. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Just out of curiosity, because you're in Nebraska, do you work with a lot of volleyball players? Um, our clinic, um, yes, but we work with some UNL athletes as consultants. Okay. So we've gotcha. worked with, uh, we've worked with athletes in track and field, um, basketball, football, volleyball, um, and we're just here. They have a great training staff there. Um, I'm not telling you anything that's not confidential because they've <laughs> written about it in our local paper. Um, but they have a great training staff. We're just doing more as consultants and stuff. Cool. So, yeah. so, okay. So let's continue on. This has been so informative and I love it because I'm learning a ton too. And that's the best. And we have a lot of PTs and athletic trainers and just smart people that listen. So um, I know that they're going to really like this. Um, so I do want to talk about this. I, before I like started to study PRI, I was in barefoot shoes for about three years, Vivo barefoot shoes, the most barefoot you could be in. I had Uh chronic heel pain all the time. And um, I think there's a big misconception about barefoot shoes. And maybe if you could just talk a little bit about barefoot shoes and then also maybe barefoot training and a little bit of the. Do you know when, um, we, if you utilized your barefoot shoes on uneven terrain, Alina, I think you probably would have done fine. Yeah, unfortunately, New York City is concrete. And- yes, so that that's the problem. That's why you got heel pain. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, with some of the runners, um, sometimes people need to be able to sense the floor. And um, I think that people 
when I work with people that are dizzy or lightheaded or have a lot of neck tension, um, those are individuals sometimes that can get PRI neutral and they have an excessive straight leg raise. Mm. I can see why some of those individuals um, will gravitate to wanting to be barefoot or utilizing barefoot shoes because they can't sense the floor. And then at the analogy that I would give your audience, think about a helium balloon. And a helium balloon is like your head and neck. <laughs> and the string of the balloon is like the rest of your body. And your head and neck then is going to be directing the rest of your body if your body doesn't sense the floor. But if I can give you a sand weight on the bottom of that string, now that sand weight, and if you're more grounded, can help regulate your body from the ground up versus the head and neck down. So barefoot shoes um, for some individuals may be good. I don't know that I would utilize them on concrete because we are humans that are in a modernized society that work on level flooring in our homes or in our apartments or condominiums or outside on the cement. If the barefoot shoes were used out in the grass, we have a lot more grass than you guys do in New York, but you could go walk around in Central Park on the grass. You know what I mean? Where it's more uneven, you would probably do fine, but to, I would not utilize barefoot shoes on concrete or um, you're going to end up having more foot problems and in my experience, people have had more foot problems and health problems with the barefoot shoes, utilizing them on concrete and streets. But if you yeah. walk around with them on grass in your backyard or out in the park, I can see where it could be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, it makes total sense. Um, it makes a lot of sense. So what... Um, like, I guess we kind of covered a lot of the questions that we originally were chatting mm -hmm. about, honestly, because we, you talked about so many different things and this has been really interesting. Super well, interesting. Why don't I go through with, if your audience, if, unless you guys have more questions, like our top four shoes that we utilize in the yeah. I just don't want everyone to think that, I mean, I tell this to my patients when they come in, um, that in order, if you give your patients um, a PRI program or they're going through, like if I'm training for a marathon or a half marathon, or you know maybe you're training for a triathlon, I mean, everyone's different, I'm a runner, so I relate everything to running. Um, I would, during my training season, I would be very particular about what I have on my feet when I'm up moving around. So yeah. I, sometimes I tell my patients, I'm gonna put you in shoe jail. We're gonna just have a little fun with it. <laughs> But at the same time, you guys, I don't want people to feel like they have to wear tennis shoes and definitely footwear variability is okay. And so I've been trying to sometimes run around in the clinic. This is an echo shoe, very expensive, but um, it has a good heel counter. And those are cute. Shoe. I yeah. like those. And I know it's hard to find casual yes. shoes to fit the criteria that are cute. And this is a $165 shoe and my husband's like, get it. You know, you're on your feet all day. Yeah. But the, the heel doesn't collapse in. It has a zipper on it to help control the midfoot. And the Echo has, it has a nice little heel um, arch in it. It has good arch support. And that's hard to find in a heel counter. Mm -hmm. so people, um, once, you know, if you're going through your PRI training program, you're going through a rehab process as much as you can, I would probably wear tennis shoes to help to control your feet. If you're sitting at a desk, wear what you need to at work. Right. But if you're going to get up and do a lot of walking, I would encourage you to wear your tennis shoes. Once you're rehabbed and feeling better, you can take some of the criteria that was taught about, you know, does the shoe bend at the toe box? As I'm showing this casual shoe bending at the toe box, mm -hmm. it still doesn't, you know, it still has a good heel counter. And shoes have a strap like a Mary Jane shoe or that has a zipper mm -hmm. or that tie that can help control that midfoot tend to be better. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean you can't wear naughty shoes. I wear, you know, I mean, I, I call them naughty shoes. I just try to have fun with it. But it doesn't mean you can't wear a cute pair of high heel shoes to go yeah. to a wedding or to go to a social event or yeah. to wear something. I just don't know if I would go sightseeing, you know, all over New York City in my stilettos either. So, um it's like nutrition. Yeah. 
So mm -hmm. it's just, you know, you got to do stuff in moderation, mm -hmm. but the goal would be that your patients don't have to be in tennis shoes in order to stay PRI neutral. Mm -hmm. Right now we're using the shoe when they're going through a PRI program to help them to be able to integrate their PRI program. The ones that are more stable at their trunk and their pelvis, they maybe could put on a less supportive shoe and guess what? They can still remain PRI neutral and they can still keep their lift scores good. Yeah. You know, but if you're if you wear incorrect footwear, you know, 10, 12 hours a day for months on end, that may not, you may not be able to hold on to that, but you may be able to hold on to it for a social event at work or at work when you're not on your feet as much. Mm -hmm. But if I'm training for something, I probably gotta be more diligent whether I'm not hurt or not, I'm gonna be in a good pair of shoes as I'm training for something. Yeah. So I, do I, have, I kind of wanted to clear that up. I just don't want people to feel like they have to wear tennis shoes all the time. And they can never wear cute, cute shoes after they go through a PRI program. I tell my patients, once you're neutral, you're feeling good. I try to get the majority of my patients to a score of a four out of five before I discharge them. And then the shoes sometimes, because they can integrate, they don't have to wear them all the time. They can get away with wearing other shoes. Mm -hmm. And then they know what shoes they have to wear to, you know, to work out or if they're going to run around and run errands and be on their feet cleaning their house or doing yard work, they might put on their good shoes. So the top four shoes that we find in the clinic. So we update the shoe list, you guys. Well, pre-COVID, it was usually in February and in June. Mm -hmm. And then with COVID, with the supply chain issues that they're having, the shoes have randomly been coming out at different times. So it, it's going to be updated sporadically yeah i heard yeah. nike is on like back order and i kind of thought that maybe is a good thing because yeah nike so, and Adidas just don't make a good shoe they just don't they no. look they look okay i guess but yeah so what what i do is i usually go down to where i look local running store and i try to look as many shoes as i can you know you guys might have different shoes and access to shoes alina in new york though and i have in lincoln um, but I go down and I look at them, I try them on, we look at them as a staff, uh, we all look at them, all the shoes to come together. And remember that we're looking at shoes for our patients that are going through a rehabilitation process, not like a normal healthy athlete, but I right. still have a little bit of attitude if I were a normal healthy athlete about what shoes go on my feet to keep me healthy, but that's mm -hmm. just me. So we'll go through and look at them and shoes when they the shoe company might upgrade a shoe and what you and I might think is a, they might think it's a minor update, might be a major thing in PRI world. Right. So even though a shoe may be on my list one year, a year and a half later when they upgraded, they may have changed something. For instance, the New Balance. New Balance had some great shoes, but they completely changed their heel counter in the last year and a half. And the heel counter will go halfway up and it doesn't even cover the calcaneus where it's firm and then it's completely soft in the heel counter. Mm. So all the new balance went off the shoe list where before we had the 860, the 880. So my yeah. patients were very sad, but you know, they upgrade them. <laughs> so first of all, we go around, we look at it and we try them on. It's a, it's a, a little process. And then the big thing that we do is then we look at them with our patients in the clinic. And so, as we look at it with the clinic, you might see a shoe come off the list that we thought was going to be good for our patients. And it might come off because, you know, we're not having good luck with it with any of our patients. And then you might see a shoe that we weren't sure how it was going to work out, kind of move more to our top of our list. Mm -hmm. So I get a lot of emails about shoes or clinicians asking questions. So we kind of redesigned the shoe list a little bit this year to help our help clinicians out. So our, and it doesn't mean, so at the top of the shoe list, we listed our very best shoe for people that have heel or ankle instability, and that is the Asics Cumulus, and that is listed. Any shoe that's on the shoe list is gonna fit the criteria that I talked about earlier. Then uh, we have the Asics Nimbus, and I don't have that to demonstrate for you guys today, um, that's the one shoe I don't have. Okay. But the A6 Nimbus fits all the criteria. The thing that's unique about the Nimbus, you guys, on the bottom of the um, shoe on the inside, there's a cut right where the arch is. Mm. So if you have someone that's having a hard time relearning how to repronate because they have a really mid rigid midfoot, 
that shoe could be really helpful to retrain the midfoot how to repronate. If you have someone that has a really high arched foot, they still might need a little bit of a sensory arch in the shoe. But the A6 Nibus has been really helpful for me to help retrain that midfoot to repronate, especially people that like to be on the outside of their foot mm-hmm. clinically. Um, sorry, this is my Brooks Adrenaline. I run in the shoes, so it may be a little dirty. I wear those. Um, a couple of years ago, came up with the guide rail system. And that guide rail system comes around the kill counter and it goes on the inside where the arch is. So this has been a really great shoe just for the average Joe that doesn't have a, you know, a gnarly foot or just to retrain someone how to utilize their whole foot, heel, arch, and toe when they go to walk. Um, it has good support. It's just been a good overall shoe for some of this average arched. Um, so that is just some average arched foot, good shoe. If I have someone that has trouble um, sensing the floor, um, more head problems, or we get a lot of people that come in with our prime program that are having difficulty getting neutral with PRI and they might need some integration from a dentist or an optometrist. And if they're having a hard time sensing the floor with an excessive straight leg raise over 75, even though we're working their hamstrings, um, sometimes it's not always hamstrings, it's more neurological because they can't sense the floor. The Brooks Dia has a really unique liner that is like a little squishy and it helps the foot to work better for the person to feel the floor underneath the shoe versus the foot inside of the shoe. And it helps them to be able to sense the floor. The Brooks Dyad um, isn't a shoe I'd recommend for someone who's a runner. It's more of a walking shoe. Runners Mm -hmm. out there, you would kill me if I put you in the Dyad. (laughs) But the Adrenaline is a running shoe. The Cumulus is a running shoe. The Nimbus is a running shoe. But they could also correlate over to walking. But the Brooks Dyad, we've had good shoes. The uniqueness about the liner of the shoe. Um, I even tried to see if I could just buy the liner of the shoe so I could put them in a different shoe. Mm-hmm. Um, hard time with COVID with that right now, but the Brooks diet is sometimes what I'll work with some of my sensory integration patients with the liner of the shoe. Gotcha. Then on the bottom of the shoe list, maybe one of those four shoes don't fit for one of your clients and there's some other recommendations below it. Um, the top four are the ones that we utilize most in the clinic. And in the clinic, we have all four of those shoes in the clinic that we can actually try with our patients there in the clinic to see what works best for them before we have them go to the shoe store and get it. So the big thing is for you clinically is you need to watch your patient walk, you know, see what they can sense on the floor. And then don't look just at the Horeska adduction lift test. I mean, Horeska adduction drop test. Look at the head and neck. Yeah. You know, look at, look at the trunk, look at HGIR horizontal abduction, look at the abduction mm-hmm. drop test and look at the straight leg raise and just see if they can integrate the head, neck, trunk and pelvis with that shoe because of better sensory processing from the floor. Awesome. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. This has been super, super informative. Um, so can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Well, I'm at the HoreskaClinic.com. So if they go to, um, if they Google in Horeska Clinic, we just changed our web, our website address. I'll, I'll link it anyway. Like but, but if you link our about. website, you guys, yeah. our shoe list will be up there. And then if you go to our blog, they can go find the blogs. I've done a lot of blogs about shoes or footwear cool. um, that they can listen to to help them out. And then feel free, they can print off that shoe list. Um, it's a front back copy and they can utilize that shoe list. We update it a couple of times a year. I would just ask your audience that there's, it's copyrighted. And I would just ask people that they respect the hard work that goes into that shoe list. I'd love to share it. But if they could keep it, the Hervesca Clinic shoe list, you know, if they want to add their logo on top of that for where they work, you know, they can do that. You know, you know, New York City physical therapy and then Hervesca clinic shoe list underneath it, that would be great um, just to respect the copyright. But I'm happy to help clinicians if you have questions. Um, But it's hard for me if I don't see your patient. I can't watch them walk. I can't do PRI tests. But I'm just telling you how it worked for me with Michael Ann. That was way back in 2008. 
and um, it is a necessary integration piece. If your patients are coming in with UGG boots, just <laughs> try this for me. You have them do their PRI program and have them walk out in their UGG boots, and they're going to be neutral after they do their PRI program, and they put on their little UGG boots, and they walk up and down that hallway. You come back, and they've lost all their work that they've done with you. Well, if they, if they come in with UGG boots, they better come in with a Starbucks drink, too. because Yeah, that, 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 would be, that would be great, right? <laughs> um, yeah. We just have one more question for you. We ask every guest, what do you do? You kind of mentioned it earlier, so I'm wondering if you'll say the same thing. What do you do? Uh, maybe every day, maybe not every day, to move your brain and move your body? Well, to move my body every day, I walk my dog. That's I mean, and I also moves my brain because it is like my, my dog is my, my dog and my husband, my favorite thing to do every day is go for a walk with them because um, Oakley is my blood pressure medication. He is my anti-anxiety medication. I mean, who can have a bad day when they have a dog? I get greeted every day like a rock star when I come home, unconditional love. You feed them, you walk them, you play with them, they love you. Mm -hmm. So I move every day walking my dog, swinging my arms. I would tell everyone to walk and swing their arms and just to get out in nature and, you know, in positive energy, you know, the leaves are turning, look at the beautiful color of the leaves, the sun is out. So something positive, I would get outside in the sunlight. So that is good for my brain. Um, but I do love to run. Running is also my blood pressure and anti-anxiety medication. <laughs> um, I've also gotten into um, Orange Theory. And I do like Orange Theory. I think they do a great job of having people run um, for short distances on treadmills um, up on an incline. And I love the rower work because it's like a PRI squat on the rower. You get your feet flat on it and it picks <laughs> up the workout in different directions. And I am a running snob. So for me to do weight training, um, I, I have to be forced into it. So I like the variety of the workout my muscles <laughs> going. And so that's also good for my brain and my body. And then mm -hmm. I'm an avid reader. I probably have read... Um, this summer over 10 books. So that would be another good thing to read. And there, I'm trying to get away. Um, this is my next book. I just um, saw that. How to, be the heard. Thing. Yeah. How to be heard. Secrets for powerful speaking and listening. Hmm. I just cool. saw PRI posted that book. I'm going to get it. Yeah. So I got this book from PRI. So this will be on my next list, but I'm also reading a historical fiction about, um, you want me to go grab it really quick to tell you the title of the book, but it's a historical fiction book about the Titanic. So I like to read books for fun too, because that helps my brain to shut down. I get cool. it. Cool. I love it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me, you guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast. Join in every week as we release new episodes. Subscribe or leave us a rating at Apple Podcasts. If you have questions or topics to cover, please email moveyourbb at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at moveyourbb.